Faithful Exiles is a podcast that explores life following Jesus Christ in South Africa. We want to think deeply about what the Bible has to say about life and talk about what that might mean in the situations God has placed us in. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those held by the host, co-host, or production team. As this is a discussion and not a pure teaching platform, it is up to the listener to engage with the content responsibly. Welcome back. On this episode of Faithful Exiles, we explore the delicate and controversial topic of prostitution. Unfortunately, our normal hosts were not available, so our Jürgen will be conducting this interview. The Bible makes it very clear that prostitution is a sinful act for all who are involved and a stain upon the moral character of a nation. See Leviticus chapter 19. On a sobering note, sexual immorality has been used as a metaphor throughout the Bible to indicate the severity of rebellion and sin against God by His people. Surely this should humble Christians to want to extend the hand of grace, instead of merely pointing the finger of judgment. Thankfully, Jesus makes it clear that His message of grace embraces all repentant sinners who turn to Him in faith, naturally, including prostitutes. Sadly, yet not surprisingly, prostitution is a prevalent issue in South Africa, with one study in 2015 estimating that there were up to 182,000 sex workers in the country. Statistics also indicate that 70% of prostitutes have been physically assaulted, while 58% have been raped. Another study showed that 70% of prostitutes from three major South African municipalities were found to be HIV positive. In light of this, how should Christians in South Africa think about prostitutes and prostitution? What are the causes behind this epidemic? How can we discuss this issue in a way that is faithful to the truth, justice and mercy of God? What could we as Christians do to help? And what might solutions to this issue look like within our unique South African context? On today's episode, we talk with Ms. Vilma Buddy, who has been ministering amongst ladies who have had to resort to prostitution for varying reasons. Ms. Buddy has good insight into this ministry, and we try to glean as much information from her as possible. We trust you will find this interview beneficial. Hello there. Um, we are sitting with Vilna Buddy, affectionately known as Mama V, by those who work with her and um, reside here. We are at Jesus for Real Ministries, correct? Yes, Jürgen. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're talking to her today and we want to find out more about her and what she does here um, at Jesus for Real Ministries. Um, so maybe let's start off by getting to know you. Where are you from and maybe why did you start this ministry? What happened or why did you decide to start this ministry Hi, Jürgen. Nice meeting you and thank you for visiting us here today. I started this ministry in 2005, so that was many, many years ago. And um, I started off by preaching on the corner of Esalen and Late Street in Sunnyside. And it was really just wonderful to see how people were desperate for the Lord. Mm-hmm. I often had people thinking, you know, what? What do you want to go and do on the street corner? But God told me, it laid that so heavily on my heart mm-hmm. that I should go out there and preach the word. Okay. And from there, I met so many different people. Uh, Pretoria, Sunnyside is very much like the Johannesburg Hillbrow area mm-hmm. and very cosmopolitan people from all over the world, but mostly all over Africa. Mm-hmm. And... 
God gave me everything that we needed for the ministry right there on the street corner. Okay. A band, people singing, evangelists who also wanted to pray for people and speak to people. And it was about a month, month and a half, mm -hmm. and we had about 120 people who met with us every Friday, standing mm -hmm. for about three hours every night. There on the streets? Yeah, or proper street, doing okay. praise and worship, the, you know, preach mm -hmm. the word, altar calls, mm -hmm. and then praise and worship again for about an hour. Okay. And Great. then during those years, I met ladies who were clearly ladies of the night. Mm. And just like many people, I just accepted them as sex workers, prostitutes. Mm -hmm. But I started understanding what was really going on as mm. I started speaking to them. And um, I will tell you a story, can I? Yeah, please do. One night I met a young girl, mm -hmm. um, white hair, piercing blue eyes, and she told me her little story that since the age of five, she was basically introduced into prostitution. And um, yeah. it was so terrible that I actually couldn't believe what she was telling me was true. And I phoned all the social workers and people that she mentioned, mm -hmm. and it was all true. Yeah. And she looked at me at the end of that night and she said to me, Sultani, my mom obvious. Oh. Will mm. you be my mommy? And at that moment, I thought, you know, I want to be this girl's mom. And I will be the mom of every other girl in the street if that's what they needed. Mm. And then I said, of course I want to be your mommy, but then you must take me to your pimp. And yeah. immediately she was just very upset and she said, mm -hmm. no, no, no. She can't do that because he will kill us. So I said, no, man, he must know who's your mom and I want to meet him. Mm. I met him a couple of uh, weeks later and that's how my journey started, through me meeting this young girl and her pimp. Okay. And I realized that if I wanted to have access to the girls, mm -hmm. I needed to know their pimps, their dealers. Mm. And uh, yes. Soon I wasn't preaching on the street anymore. Mm -hmm. And where we used to start on a Friday from uh, 7 o'clock in the evening mm -hmm. and go up to 10, 11 p.m., mm -hmm. my new routine was to walk in the streets from about 10 yeah. at night until 2 or 4 in the morning. Wow. And just visiting the girls on the street. Mm. Um, prostitutes mm. are... People that are hated by ladies, okay. desired by men, mm. and completely misunderstood. Because most of them are not what we think, just sex workers who are doing that for money. Mm. Many of those girls, I would say, I've never really met a prostitute. I've met prostituted women. Mm. They are girls who are living with a pimp mm -hmm. who sells them to clients and the money goes or into drugs. And those girls live for the next fix. Mm. So it's a cycle of I sell my body mm -hmm. so that I can have a fix. Yeah. And then I need that fix to sell my body again so that I can have the next fix. Mm. And yes, this has been a um, very interesting journey. Where is it that you, you grew up or where are you from? And what kind of transpired you to 
to start preaching on the street corner? As a young child, I grew up in Namibia. Okay. And we came to South Africa, Pretoria specifically. When I was about 10 and in grade 7, in our time we called it Standard Faith, Standard Five. Yeah. Um, a youth group from the Enhia Church came to the school mm-hmm. and they had this beautiful little drama with a big white heart and a big black heart. And they told us that we have done things as people that has made our hearts black, but that the blood of Jesus could wash our hearts and our hearts could become white. And this black heart was turned around and it was beautiful white. And it really impressed me as a child. And I told God that I wanted to give my heart to him and I want to live for him so that he gives me a white heart. And I started loving people. I, I always saw broken people. I was just filled with the love of God to reach out to broken people. And I desired, since I was very young, to reach out to prejudiced people, rejected people, misunderstood people, those people that other people don't want to touch. Mm. Those were the people that my heart saw wherever I went. And um, after school, I decided that I wanted to go to Bible college, which I did, and did two years. And then when I was 40, Mm -hmm. which makes me very old now because that's about 20 years ago, I went to Bible college again and uh, three years. So started preaching on the street, and that's my story. Wow, incredible. Great. You mentioned earlier when you gave us a tour here, you mentioned how you know most people would be quite scared of, of doing what you do, going out late at night. Yeah, maybe um, what is it that, that gives you that confidence or that, that calmness to go and do that? Would you say it's the knowing that you're doing what the Lord would want you to do? Or what is that that gives you that, I don't want to say relaxedness, but calmness about the whole situation? Jürgen, I believe when God calls you to do something, he equips you on every level. Mm. I feel like I'm at home there. I honestly feel that those guys, the pimps and the drug dealers, are my friends. Now, I know people don't want to hear that. People want to hear stories that those evil guys who beat up the women, which does happen. Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it's a terrifying world. Um, but when... The Lord sends you out to the ministry field. It may be on the enemy line. Mm. Are we going to hate those people or are we going to see them as people that need God? Yeah. So I'm not on the justice side. I see. Uh, there are other people that God has called and they should do their job. Mm. But I'm on the mercy side. I see. And they are my friends. They are my f- ministry work. And mm-hmm. I reach out to them as people that God loves. Okay, so a lot of it also is then a relational work. You, you know, maintain those relationships, know who the people are and act appropriately, I guess. Absolutely. Mm. And I don't just do it because I need something from them. Yeah. I have learned that everybody has a story. Mm. There was a guy that we've always heard stories about, that he was violent. And um, I always wanted to meet him. Mm. And one night as I walked in the street, there was a man sitting on a big electric box. Mm-hmm. And strangely, I looked at him and I just felt that this was the man. I didn't know what he looked like. 
So I called him by his name and I said, how are you? And he looked at me and he said, Mama V. And I said, come down here. I want to hug you. And his face just turned serious and he said, why? I said, I want to hug you because I've heard about you and I've always wanted to meet you. So he actually slid down that big electrical box Mm -hmm. and he folded his arms on his chest and looked me straight in the eye like, uh, I'm a wall and don't come near me. Mm-hmm. And I just put my arms around him, put my head on his shoulder, and I said, I'm going to pray for you. Yeah. Wow. And I just said, Lord, will you please show him your love? Mm. Will you please show him that you see him? Will you show him that you know his name? And Lord, I pray that you will show him that your arm is not too short mm. to reach him. Wow. In Jesus' name. And he didn't do anything. He just stared at me. I left, didn't speak to him again. And one Saturday morning, very early, I had a phone call from an unknown number. Mm -hmm. Answered, and it was him. And he said to me, come get your girl. Yeah. I said, okay, where? He said, my place. I said, I don't know your number. And he gave me the number of the flat, his door number. And when I got there, the girl was lying on a mattress. She was stabbed. We sort of got hold of her, took her down to the car. And as I started my car, the Holy Spirit said to me, wait. And I just thought, what now? Because I was a little bit anxious to get out of there. Mm -hmm. And I clearly saw a vision Mm -hmm. of a little 12-year-old boy crying, sobbing. Mm -hmm. And I called him and I said, please, can I tell you something? I just saw a vision and I believe that God is saying something to you. I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me, arms folded on his chest again. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I saw a young boy around 12 years old crying and he's sobbing. It, It is a noise, almost like an animal that sobs his heart out. And then he falls on the floor, and that's all. And he looked at me. Then his eyes started tearing up. Then he started making a very weird noise, like that, you know, Mm -hmm. like somebody's struggling to contain themselves. And then he looked at me and he said, Mama V, when I was 12, I killed my own twin brother. And my mother sent me out of the house and told me I am the devil's child. Now, here was a man that God loved enough to speak to. God gave me a vision with the truth about his life that only God knew. I didn't know anything about this man except that people feared him. So this very man, who was known as an evil man, had a story behind him. And that's what I believe God wants to show people all over the world doesn't matter what your story was Mm. or is God sees you he knows you by name and his arm is not too short Mm. to reach you okay so Mahavi you told us about how you started or or initially made contact um, with the people on the street can you maybe tell us a bit more about what it is that you do at Jesus for Real Ministries Um, and maybe yeah maybe give us a typical day of, of what a typical day looks like. 
Here again, we have two legs to our ministry. One is an evangelical leg, which is our outreach program, which I really love doing. It's wonderful. Um, going out to the ladies in the street at night. And then the other leg is when we can get one of those ladies to come out of that lifestyle. We have a home mm. and we call it our home. And this is where we are right now. This is a home where once the ladies can come out, they can actually live with us for the rest of their lives. There's a very interesting thing about um, ladies who are caught up in this world. There's not a very great success rate to take prostitutes and drug addicts out of the street. The reason for that is that their lives are getting stolen from them. And their families' lives are mostly dysfunctional as well. Mm -hmm. So you can rehabilitate a, a lady like that, almost similar to when a drug addict goes to rehab. And then when he's finished with rehab, he needs a good support base. If that good support base doesn't exist, it will be difficult. If they go back to dysfunctional families or relationships, it's difficult and there's a good chance they'll end back doing drugs again. What's drugs all about? It's pain relief. It's numbing the pain. And often people don't know where the pain comes from. They just know, I can't cope. With the ladies, there's an additional factor, and that is that they have done prostitution. They have belonged to a man. So there's not just a situation where a drug addict buys drugs and go and sit at home and use it. There's a total different relationship. So it's very difficult for them to get out of that. Um, when a lady comes out, she needs to belong. And where will she go? The, the ladies that are here that you've met today, they have families, but they can't go to their families because there's dysfunction to the extent that if the first night that they get there, there will be a, an introduction to either drugs or alcohol or whatever. And then, you know, those triggers just take them back to what they need to stay away from. Okay. So so you would nearly say it's like a like a safe haven as well as a belonging community. So yeah. and like you said, you you're nearly like a mother or aunt or older sister to these ladies. I think when we work in the street, I am whatever people want me to be, a sister or aunt, a mom, a granny. And then here at home I'm the mother of the home. They call me Mama V. And uh, we live as a family, a proper family. So we're different races from different places, different ages. But everybody feels that this is their home. So I'm the mom. Um, these brothers and sisters and little ones, like you see, it was mm. such a noisy mess that we had to send them away. <laughs> But um, it's wonderful. The family dynamics is amazing, yeah. Okay. You mentioned also, so the other leg, the second leg is the, so when the ladies come and stay here, but then also the children, then they come and visit often. Um, yes. And I see you have a nice setup with a jungle gym and a nice playing area. Um, so it's a real positive attitude or um, experience for those as well. But those are obviously staying now somewhere else. Yeah, can you maybe elaborate a bit on that, what's going on there or how that setup works? Most of the girls that we work with in the street have got sad children's stories. Um, 
they've, they either had multiple abortions, they had children that they don't know where the children are, uh, they've left the children with their mothers at home, and then when we can get a girl out, there's an initial search to find where those children are. And then we try and build relationship. So that, say, if a child is back home with a granny, we find out if we can speak to the child telephonically on a regular basis. Um, one of the girls here, um, we tried for about 10 months to make contact with her child and then eventually we were allowed to see the child and now the child is visiting us and staying over like right now as you could see this was school holiday and that's why there are more children than usual i see and then one of the other girls for example again i actually took her child out before she came out she was sick very very sick found her on the street corner that night with a very high fever I phoned her pimp and said that she couldn't work. Took her home and he said that he will let me know the next morning whether she was better or not. And she was still very sick. When I fetched her to take her to hospital, on the spur of the moment, I just said to him, can't I take the baby because the mom is not going to be here? And he looked at me with surprise because we, we didn't discuss it. And he said, yes. So we went up to the what they call the creche, where all the children live or where they stay while the mothers work. And um, I took the baby, so dropped the mom off at hospital where we sat for 11 and a half hours waiting, and then she came home with me. And my friend had a very interesting story. She always used to say that she's waiting for her Hazel. And um, I never really made much sense of it. You know, I knew that she once told me it wasn't the name of the child, but that she would be a hazel color. And um, I spoke to her in that next week sometime and I said, oh, goodness, my life is upside down. We now have a child and whatever. And she said, a child? Do you think it's my hazel? And I had no idea why that friend story didn't feature in my head, but as, I, as she spoke to me, I realized, oh, my goodness, this child was two and a half years old. And she always used to say, Hazel will be about two and a half or three years. And she came to meet her. And since that day, she was they were both inseparable. Okay. So uh, before the mommy came to me, she went to live with her. They come and visit. The mom has been with them on holidays. And it's just wonderful. She's now eight years old. Mm-hmm. in a really good school and doing well. She's doing ballet and singing and swimming and whatever. I can't even remember everything she does. Very happy story. Okay. And besides the work that you do with the, with the ladies, um, there's also scope for those who can't necessarily full-time work with you to perhaps support in different means, and that being by maybe hosting the child or looking after the children for an intermittent period. Yes, it's very interesting how God is just all over in every little detail. God will surprise us each time. He will make a way for a child to end up with the best family for that specific child, whether it is through adoptions. We've got an open adoption busy happening now. We've had a closed adoption, foster care, 
people who just were willing to look after a child. Obviously, it's much more complicated and there's a more secure process when it comes to children. We don't keep children here, so this mm. home is not for children. But, of course, the children visit their moms. For sure. Uh, mm. School holidays and then one weekend every month. Okay. <laughs> That's about as much as what we can handle. But it's wonderful and we love having the children. Okay. Great. Um, Mama V, you mentioned now that in our personal conversation earlier that you reach out to schools. Can you maybe indicate what you do at those schools? Jürgen, we really enjoy that because um, human trafficking awareness is very, very important. It's important because people often hear the word and it sort of invokes fear. People see a trafficker as somebody who's going to drive past them, grab their children pull her back over their head and speed off. In our South African context, it often works a little bit more subtle. Um, your human trafficker can be the guy who's at the club where girls hang around. It's very uh, important for students to know about this and school children. So we speak at high schools and also at university campuses where we explain to them, look out, look out for your friends your brothers, your sisters, because a trafficker can be the guy who hangs around the bar, the guy who looks like everybody knows his name, the friendly guy. And he's going to stand there watching which girls are the girls who hang out and leave with anybody, which girls need free drinks. And more than often, they will target somebody and groom somebody for quite a while and can be the girl who's doing recreational drugs and then suddenly they will move in and do you a favor where they will give the girl a drug on loan which you have to pay off. It can also happen with a boyfriend who uses drugs, can't pay his drug debt and then he takes a girl to the dealer and say, I'm coming now. And then that girl is stuck there. So there's different ways in which this happened. And it's important to know that we can actually have a lookout without having to be afraid. We can just become aware. There's an old saying then, when something is too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. So the boyfriend who comes and tells you that you're beautiful and he wants you take you away, we may not believe that people fall for that, but people do, especially people from dysfunctional backgrounds who are desperate for love and recognition. So yes, we speak to um, girls and guys, men and women, and it's so interesting how often afterwards the queue just get longer and longer for people who come and tell their stories or ask us to pray for them because something like that happened to them or is busy happening to their friend. We love doing that. The girls also love sharing their own stories and it's real, real stories. Uh, Mama V, we obviously see the importance of this work. Um, have you had contact with any other people doing this work and maybe some interesting stories about that or some experiences that you've shared? Yes, we've had other people who do this and um, some having success and others not really. So we also go out to churches and um, youth groups where we train people how to work with the ladies on the street, how to do the outreaches. It's a very specific type of outreach. You know, traditionally we walk the streets, hand out a tract or sweeties or a chocolate, and then ask people if we can pray for them. And it worked. 
But when you deal with prostitutes, they stand on that street and they have to work. There's a guy watching them. So when you go and stand in front of her, you're busy irritating her guy. She has to work. What you don't realize is that he will beat her because she spoke to you. And that's why we have a complete different approach. We sort of walk around, say, hi, hi, give out a cream donut or a chocolate. So, yes, it, it's nice to give somebody food or a snack or sweet. Sweet things help people who have drug cravings. <laughs> and then as people get to know you, I can actually say, can I pray for you tonight? And sometimes when girls see me, they just scream and run and say, please, can you pray for me? Or we've even prayed for guys. Um, can I tell you a story? Yeah, please. One night when we got to the street, I heard a voice yelling out, Mama V, stopped. And here's this man coming across the road. And he says, um, he introduced himself, his name. And he said to me, I've been waiting for you the whole day. And they told me that you will be here tonight. I said, what can I do for you? He says, I need to change my life and I want you to pray for me. So I said, well, if you want to change your life, you will never be able to do it unless God does a work from the inside. And for you to get God to do something for you, you have to give your life to him. And uh, said to him, so you have to repent of what you've done in the past and then ask the Lord to start a new life in your heart. But he will have to give his heart to the Lord, give his life to God, and he also have to repent of what he's done. So he said, yes, he's keen, this is what he wants. So I took his hands, closed my eyes, and as I start praying, I see blood all over his hands. So I opened my eyes and I say, you've got blood on your hands. And he looked at me and said, yes, I'm a serial killer. And I mean, like, my heart just went... What now? <laughs> and he says, I came from prison today and I came straight here because this is my way, my cycle. I come out of prison, I come and get drugs, I get prostitutes and then I start killing people and then I go back to prison. And this time one of the ladies told me, you can't do this because I was desperate. And they told me about you. And there I was with a man who was desperate for the Lord. And God again came and he just showed him, I know who you are. Isn't that amazing? Indeed. And I really yeah. believe that this is how we can do evangelism. Mm. Go out, trust God and the Holy Spirit to speak to us about people so that he can show them, I care for you. I know who you are. I know you by name. Mm. I know how desperate and unique your pain is. Okay. Yeah, so maybe this question which I've got now will have already been answered. But what have you learned about God and his kingdom in light of your experiences? So you mentioned, you know, that by name he knows he knows the people, he knows what they've gone through, and he's got a heart for the, the lost and the brokenhearted and the those on the edges of society, if we could, could say it like that. Um, any other experiences that you think that you'd like to share that you've learned about God and his kingdom and how he works? Yes, Jürgen, the Lord has taught me so much about his word mm -hmm. and that is that faith worketh by love so I can look at people and be completely fearless if I love them and if I love God I remember one day I was sitting at a gate waiting for a pimp to open it it was a girl that was sick up on the seventh floor and I was afraid to go up there alone 
not only afraid, I didn't like this guy. And I sat in my car thinking, Lord, can you please show me your love for him? And the most amazing thing happened. As I started saying, the Lord knows you by name, and I mentioned his name, and he loves you. His arm is not too short to reach you. Suddenly, something happened on the inside. I started loving that man like God loves him. And the next moment, all fear left. I got out of my car. I went through this dark place, dark alley with weird noises. And I went up and God was just amazing. Perfect love cast out all fear. So we need faith worketh by love. If you want faith, love first. And if you don't want to have fear, love again. It's very important. People are really not interested how much you know. Mm. They're interested how much you care. And that's something that we as Christians can really look into. Are you going to go to the street and quote verses and read the word, which is wonderful. We can do that. There's a place for it. But we shouldn't argue. We shouldn't debate. We shouldn't go and impress people. We should love. What is love? Hug somebody. Um, there was a story one day where a street boy said to me, Mama V, do you know that people talk about you on the street? I said, oh, don't tell me what they say. <laughs> he says, no, they say you touch us. I said, what do you mean? He says, you sit with us and you put your hand on our head and you rub our shoulders and you hold our hands. Nobody touch us. I want to encourage people to touch someone. Touch people, not just with what you say, but physically touch people because they need it. They're desperate for human contact. Powerful. That's very powerful. Okay, Mama V, there's, there's other people doing this around South Africa. Do you maybe have advice for those, um, either those already doing it or those who are wanting to get into this uh, type of ministry? Maybe anything they should read or any, any pitfalls or, or expectations that they need to manage or any, anything of that sort that you maybe want to comment on or give advice for? Jürgen, I believe you must first search your heart. Ask yourself, to be honest with yourself, what is your motivation? Is it sensation? Because obviously, you know, it sounds very sensational to go and walk in the street and speak to prostitutes, pimps and dealers. That's not really a good motivation. I believe that Jesus spoke with prostitutes and they're broken people. We can't go and satisfy our hungerful sensation to go and deal with broken people. The second thing is that we should not want to go and sort people out either. I believe if your heart has got anger and bitterness in it and you want to go and teach people lessons not to do business with prostitutes or drug dealers not to do what they do, you should also check that. Obviously, the Lord has called people to do the work of justice, and that is a good work. But when you do outreaching and you want to be involved evangelically, I think it's good to understand that people want to be loved as people, and that's a good start. Look at people as a person that was your sister or your own brother and just go and love. That's important. Okay, thank you. Mama V, you have a, a somewhat unique approach to your ministry. Um, we know that you've studied and that you've got many years of experience now in this, but can you maybe share with your approach? You mentioned earlier it's somewhat, it's more like a family, more than 
you know, you as the leader and the ladies that you work with as the followers, but more family. Can you maybe elaborate on that a bit, please? Jürgen, you asking me a difficult question. Um, I've been doing mission work for many years and I've watched missionaries giving their lives for the Lord's work. Missionaries who served, missionaries who laid their life down. I also realized that, you know, often people feel that you shouldn't just help people and be good to them because it can hurt them. You stifle growth and you are creating entitled culture. So I never wanted to work in that context where I feel bitter in the end. We can burn out very easily. And once again, it brings me back to what's the motive of my heart? And the Lord said to me one night, I was lying on the floor crying out to him, Lord, how will I help these girls? And I was ticking my hand on the cement floor and I said, Father, Father, Father. And as I said that, I had the answer. He's a father. He's got children. It's family. Mm. And I realized that if he's called me, he's calling me as a mother. And it was just so easy. It happened in a few seconds. I knew that I wasn't going to be a missionary going out to the mission field. I was going to be a mother. And that's how we work. We are a family. And I don't look down on people trying to get them up. I just look at my children and we work together. Okay, great. Yeah, you mentioned as you toured us around the um, the premises how you've you've moved buckets of sand to make space for a nice patio area and a play area. Yeah, so it's evident that you you work together and enjoy things together and live life together, which is really which is really great. Now, I want to say something on that, Jürgen. I'm very proud of the girls and the guys here. We normally sit and then we say, okay, let's discuss our projects and ask everybody, what would you like us to do? So one of the girls told us a couple of months ago, she wants a um, pergola here at the back because she likes washing dishes outside and they love washing clothes outside. So they came up with the project and then we sat down and tried to do the costing and decide how we will do it. So everybody gets involved. And it's so wonderful because it's not my project. It's not my ideas. We try and do it from inside. And then they own it because it's their home. That's why we call it our home. Great. That's, that's really cool. Mama V, you, your um, setup is here in Ferry Glen in Pretoria. There might be those who are not in Pretoria who are quite curious to, to maybe learn more or get in contact with you or maybe support you. Yeah, is there any means in which they can do that? I know a friend of mine has done about a week internship here, which was also good and interesting and, and valuable. Maybe you can comment or, or share on how people can get involved. Yeah. Great question. Yes, we love people who want to come and support us and uh, they always bring energy to our home. We love to have groups from YWAM or Year of Your Life groups who come and serve us for a week. And then we will do a project like garden work or do something inside the house together. They can sleep here. We don't have a lot of sleeping facilities. So if there is a place where we can hook them up, it's wonderful. We will give you the best time of your life because we love the Lord. We love people. We play games. We worship. We sing. And we work hard. 
when the group leans itself to it, we can also take the group out to the street. So please phone me and tell me what you have in mind and we can discuss it. It's wonderful to have a mission holiday here at our home. Uh, we can also get individuals who would like to maybe get involved in this specific field. Um, please, you're all welcome to phone me. Obviously, we will have to uh, charge a fee just to cover a little bit of your um, food and accommodation and that. But this is something that we will discuss. And other ways of supporting us would be to pray for us. Um, people always say, please pray for us. And then it sounds like, okay, prayer is extremely valuable because we need prayer for the ladies who are in the street. We need prayer for the ladies in the house. We want to buy our property. Please pray for us. We need a miracle. And um, yes, a support in general. If you want to support us, we've got a wonderful story of a young man who pays his tithe into our account. And sometimes he gives us 200 rand, 300 rand, 450. Every month it's a different amount. Sometimes he gives us twice a month. But we, because we share everything in the house, everybody knows what's coming in and who's, who it comes from. Um, and that's wonderful. A person, a student who actually gives his little bit. And um, with that, we can do a lot. We also have... Um, we do love carnivals in the street. So if you come and visit us for a week or so, we would love to take you out on a love carnival. That means that we go and love the children in the street. We put our tables, do face painting, balloons, have clowns. Um, and it's just a wonderful, jolly affair. Sing, have live music, and then we can talk to the children about the Lord. Uh, for that, we also need... Uh, financial support so please talk to me we will tell you what you will need for whatever you want to do and then you can raise it but uh, there's a lot of fun here at our home um, it would be nice to hear from whoever wasn't to come and do something here where can we find more details about the ministry and and how we can support it you mentioned something about a facebook page we couldn't find now does it still exist and <laughs> or maybe there's a website or any any info on that okay now Jürgen this is my weak spot I'm not really um, good with marketing so um, I do have a Facebook page we've uh, unpublished it at the moment but the ministry is called Jesus for Real Ministries um, I think our Facebook page is J, the number four R, and then dash our home. And uh, we do have a website, although it's not so amazing, jesusforreal.org. Mm -hmm. um, so the word Jesus, the number four, and um, the word real. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to put that link then in the description. Yeah. But I do have a telephone number. Okay, we'll put that in the yes. description Everybody well. knows my telephone number okay. here, so I can hand it Give out it over line. Yes, <laughs> it's 072-264-1153. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll add that then as well. Are you going to add? Yes. Um, yeah, and you mentioned it's also a not-for-profit not um, company. Oh, so here's something great to know, that we are a NPC 
That means it's a non-profit company. We are also registered as a PBO with SARS. So we can issue tax certificates. Fantastic. If anybody wants to give us a great big donation, we can give you a tax certificate. And uh, instead of paying SARS that money, you can give it to us. Fantastic. We can explain it to you, so phone us, please. Okay, thanks. That's, that's great info. Mama V, you work with people, obviously, um, and that means there are joys and challenges. Do you maybe want to share with us what those look like? I want to start with the challenges. In my own life, I remember as a child, many grown-ups standing over me, screaming at me, what's wrong with you? So I grew up as a child believing and knowing, rather, that there was something wrong with me. But I never knew what it was. And when I started working with broken people, I realized that we may never know what's really wrong with us. But when we accept Jesus, he somehow just comes and heals us. When we start forgiving people, we become lighter. Most of us in this home are still very dysfunctional, but that's okay. We may never operate on optimal performance level, but we are loved and we know that there's a place for us and we accept it here. People are difficult, but most people need to belong and to love. And if we can be honest about our shortcomings and about our hurts and our rejection, it makes it easier. So I have learned that it's really good for people to say, the truth will set you free. And that truth is obviously Jesus, but it's also speaking the truth, spitting the truth out, because secrets keep you locked up in a cell of isolation. But when we can tell the truth, where people love us and accept us, freedom happens easier. So, so you mentioned that the challenges are, are that they, you work with broken people, or we are all broken people, and therefore there are challenges. Is there anything specific that maybe is a challenge with this ministry that is maybe there which isn't in other ministries that you might want to warn people about or mention or that might need extra prayer? The challenges in our home working with prostitutes are that the ladies are really broken. If you would hear of a friend that was raped and then a week later you hear that the friend was raped again, we may often make comments such as, I wonder how she will get over that. Now, the ladies that we work with have been raped multiple times, let's say thousands of times. It sounds like an exaggerated statement, but it is simply the truth. Those ladies are not broken, they're shattered. Millions of pieces. And we probably would never be able to go and pick up those pieces and identify them. It's a challenge because we really have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And often while you're busy with deep work, something will happen. A trigger will come and derail that lady. And then you have to wait for her to return so that you can start the work again. So it's a very long process. I think that's one of our biggest challenges. And it's a very misunderstood work because people ask, but 
Why do they run away? You're helping them. Broken people run away because they're not coping. They're freaking out. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that we are not going to force people to heaven by telling them what's right and wrong. We need to love people to heaven. So my motto is I will always love you, but I will also tell you the truth. But I can't control you with what's right and wrong. It doesn't work like that in practice. Ministry is ugly most of the time. Okay, so you mentioned some challenges. Um, maybe some joys of, of working with these ladies or with the children um, that you maybe want to mention. There's obviously the, the the constant joy of being in a community and a family that that is a significant um, privilege in of itself. But are there any other um, joys that you might want to highlight? I think the greatest joy has been seeing how God does the impossible. I was trying to tell you that I've always known there was something wrong with me and I didn't know what it was. The truth was that I could simply not fix myself. I still don't know how to fix myself. And I don't know how to fix any of the ladies in my house. And it's wonderful. It's miraculous when God comes and that same arm of God that's not too short reaches a lady at a place where I've, I just don't know what to do anymore. And he picks her up and he touches her. It's wonderful. The miracles that we've experienced in this ministry has been extraordinary. Miracles of provision, miracles of breakthrough. Um, I experienced one day praying for a guy that was craving, and he was actually quite violent. I didn't know what to do, and I just said, can I pray for you? I took his hands, and God came. And at that moment, he was delivered. And he looked at me so... It was such shock because he, he couldn't believe what was happening. Once you've been triggered and you're on a rush that you need your drug now, you can't just be talked out of it. It was a miracle. It's only happened to me once, but it's a miracle I will never forget. Those are the joys, the miraculous. It's amazing. Do you have any further um, message for our listeners? No pre-prepared questions that we have, but maybe something from that's on your heart for for perhaps the public? I love young people. I believe that the Lord wants us to work together. You have so much to offer. You have energy. You have new ways of looking at problems that we don't understand. My assistant attended a sermon one night and the pastor was preaching about serving your elders. And she started looking for her elder. She was only 21 years old. And we met at a love carnival where we were painting faces for children and singing and loving them. And as she saw me, she said to herself, that's my elder. Phoned me and asked me if she could come and cook for us. And she moved in. She's been living with us for four years. She's now 25 years old. 
she's amazing. She's an angel. Well, she's beautiful. <laughs> and she is just serving us. She is living her love for Jesus out in this house. It's awesome. Then we have people who just come and say, what can we do? Guys who say, we're on holiday. What can we help? And they come and work in our bush and we go and work with them. I want to encourage young people. Look for an elder. Look for another ministry. Serve. While you serve, the Lord will release something in you and show you what he wants you to do for him. Don't just criticize ministries and say, oh, I would have done that better and look at them, they don't do this and whatever. Leave your criticism and opinions and just go and serve somebody who has got something going. I believe the Lord wants us to meet together, the young and the old, different races, different cultures. Let's just do things together and see how God will bless us when we're in unity. Thank you for listening. We hope you have benefited from this discussion. May the Lord bless you in your various endeavors. Until next time, grace and peace.